One of the rules in the Sterling household is that the girls will not play in the attic. Uh, that's a, a rule that's well established in our house. We've talked about it with the girls uh, many times, and there's good reason for it. It's, uh, the main reason being that it's dangerous. It's not finished, and so there are open electrical wires, uh, and there are places that if they stepped off of the, the flooring in the attic that they would actually go through the ceiling and end up in the living room, which is a pretty long fall. And so the main reason being that it's just dangerous. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I was walking up the steps and the door to the attic was cracked. Someone had obviously been in the attic and it could have only been one of our three girls. We got four girls. So Eva could not have done it because she can't climb the steps. But uh, it had to be Ann Wright, Kate, or Elizabeth. And so I pulled all the girls together and I started talking to them. And I said, look, you know, the door's cracked. You've been playing in the attic. And they all looked at me and said, no, we have not. We have not been playing in the attic. And you'll know this. Your parents have you pegged when you're lying. <laughs> they can tell. Uh, well, I could tell that Elizabeth, just because I'm her daddy, that she wasn't being honest. I could tell just the way she was acting and her demeanor. And so I pull Elizabeth in the other room away from the other girls. That always works better when you get them one-on-one. -on -one. And so I pull her into the other room and I said, listen, Elizabeth, you're not in trouble and you're not going to be in trouble. I really just want you to tell me the truth because the truth is important. And she looked and said, and so then I asked her, Elizabeth, have you been in the attic? And she looked at me right in the eye and she lied to me. She said, no, I haven't been in the attic. Well, I let it go for a little bit and I was just going to see if she'd come tell me the truth. Well, I tucked her into bed and when I tucked her in, she said, Daddy, I've got to tell you something. And she just burst into tears. She's really sensitive. If you've been around her, some of you have. She just burst into tears and she hugged my neck. And she said, Daddy, I'm so sorry. She said, I did it. I got it. I went in the attic. It was me. And, uh, and, and so we, we had a moment there and we talked. But here, here's, here's what I learned that night. Is that why you and I might have to learn ways to lie and creative ways to lie and how to lie. We never have to be taught to lie. Because it's something that we simply do from the moment that we're born. Because of our sin. Why do we do it? Well, because we want to define reality to the way that we wished it really were. Tonight we're looking at the ninth commandment. So follow along with me as I read. I'm just going to read this one verse and we're going to talk about Psalm 15 in a little bit. Exodus 20, verse 16, this is God's word. You, share not, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Let me pray before we dig into this passage. Father, we come and we ask that you would meet with us through your spirit Father, we desperately need your help with this passage. We need you to convict and to challenge and to change us tonight. 
Father, but also show us that our motivation for being truth-tellers uh, is the good news of the gospel. Uh, show us Jesus as well. It's in his name we pray. Amen. One of the things that we've done this semester with the commandments, and one of the things that I hope you've, tried, you've seen, is that I keep always trying to, to bring out the why behind the commandments. Why does God give us these specific commandments? And I want you to see tonight the emphasis comes to us once again, as we've seen this all throughout our series, comes to us because we were created in the image of God. That's why God gives us the ninth commandment. Well, let's work that out a little bit. Think about God and who he is from the moment of his existence. He's always been. From eternity past, God has existed within a trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's the perfect community. They're in perfect harmony with one another. Another way to say that is that they've always been communicating with one another. We also see it in the fact that the very first words ever spoken were not spoken by a human being, but were actually spoken by who? By God. God spoke and the world came into existence. We get to the New Testament, and we see that when God put on flesh and came to dwell among us, what does it say in John chapter 1? It says that the Word became flesh. What's the point? Friends, speaking, using words, talking, is at the heart of what it means to be a human being. One of the ways that you and I are like God and created in the image of God is that we talk. And that means that our words don't belong to us. They're actually given to us as a gift from God. And so our words have great power. They're given great power from God. They're given great meaning and they're very, very important. That is why God gives us the ninth commandment. Do not bear false witness. Do not lie. We're going to look at three points. What does it mean to bear false witness? Secondly, why do we do it? And thirdly, we're going to look at the remedy for it. Look at number one, what does it mean to bear false witness? Look at this command. It's a very specific command against the prohibition against false witnessing. The vocabulary here is very clear that... It's very much uh, the language of a courtroom. And so if we're going to start, before we get real broad with applying this commandment, we need to look at the commandment and take it at face value and look at it on its own terms. And so the first prohibition of this commandment would be something along the lines of lying on the witness stand, giving false testimony, falsifying a legal document, Fudging on an affidavit. And so if we went and we started broadening that command just a little bit more, more broadly, it would apply to things like breaking a contract or backing out on your lease because you've given someone your word. It would mean breaking your marriage vows. I mean, think about it. A marriage is a Christian thing and a civil thing, isn't it? You know, the preacher stands up and he says, by the authority given to me by the church of Jesus Christ and 
the laws of this state, I now pronounce you husband and wife. Meaning when you leave there that day, in the eyes of the court, you are married. And so there's a sense in which when we break our vows, we are bearing false witness. But when we come to the Ten Commandments, and we've learned that this this semester, that the commandments forbid the most extreme form of a particular sin, don't they? Think about it. Hate. The extreme form of hate is murder. Think about sexual sin. The most extreme form of sexual sin would be adultery. And then we come to bearing false witness, the most extreme form of lying would be to condemn an innocent man in a courtroom. But what we've also seen is not only does it forbid the most extreme forms of a particular sin, but it also forbids and applies to the lesser sins of the same kind. We've seen that all semester. And so when we come to the ninth ninth commandment, it means this, that God forbids every kind of falsehood whatsoever. The ninth commandment comes and it it expands to all of our words and all all of our actions and demands truth in everything that we do. It demands truth in everything that we say. And that is why Jesus, that's what it's getting at in Matthew chapter 5. Remember Matthew chapter 5, it says, let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. What is Jesus, what does that mean? Here's what he's saying, is that your word should be so trustworthy. It's as if you have taken an oath in court. That's how trustworthy we should be in all of our words and in all of our actions. And so what does that look like? Broader, yeah, Let's broaden it even more. What does that look like every day to bear false witness with one another? We bear false witness whenever we project the reality about ourselves that we wish, for tr- that we wish were true. When we project the reality about ourselves that we wish were true. Let me think about it this way. Think about Facebook. Isn't that really what Facebook is all about? It is basically your idealized reality. Because Facebook, you're projecting what you want people to think that you're like. Have you ever had this happen? You're hanging out with someone, maybe it's with a particular person, or maybe it's with a group of people, and then all of a sudden you find yourself uh, talking differently. You find yourself acting differently. And suddenly you're playing a part in front of this other person. What's going on there? Well, you're pretending to be someone that you wish you were rather than being who God has made you to be. Friends, how much of my life have I spent doing that? How much of your life do you spend doing that? Of not being comfortable in our own skin and so... Being someone we're not or attempting to be someone we're not instead of being who God has given, who, is, who God has made us to be. We also bear false witness whenever we walk into a room and we look at someone and we don't care what's really true about them. For example, maybe you walk into an RUF meeting 
Or maybe you walk into one of your classes, or maybe you walk into the Union or to the Grove on a game day, and you see someone dressed in a certain way, or you see someone acting a certain way, in about 10 seconds you make about 10 judgments about them without knowing a single thing about them. And you say, well, they look the part, and so you automatically put them in a category, and you don't care if these things about them are really true. Are you willing tonight to get to know people for who they truly are? instead of a stereotype that you have of them. What's some other ways? Well, we also break this commandment and bear false witness through unkept promises, through unkept truths. For example, let's say that it's beginning of the week and you run into one of your friends and they say, hey, you want to go get dinner? We need to catch up. I haven't seen you in a while. Let's go get dinner on a Friday night. And you're like, sure, that sounds really great. Well, a couple of days later, Wednesday comes around, and you run into another group of friends, and uh, in your eyes, they're going to help you more socially. And frankly, they might be just more fun to hang out with. And so they ask you to do something. And so now you're stuck. Because you really want to do it. And so your friend who originally had asked you to do something, calls you on Thursday to confirm and says, hey, we still on for Friday. I'm really looking forward to it. And you say, "Uh, you know what? Let's, can we wait and do that next weekend? I got this huge test coming next week and I really need to just take this night and study. And so you hang up the phone. You're out on the square on Friday night and out of all the people that you could run into, you run into them, the person who you had originally agreed to go out with. And it's painful, isn't it? And the reason why it is painful is because you don't deem them worthy of receiving the truth. And friends, if you've ever had that happen to you, it makes you feel less than human, doesn't it? It makes you feel like you've had some of your dignity stripped away. And you know what? All of us have done things like that, haven't we? Without, and oftentimes without ever being caught. And when we do that, that is a way when we break commitments with people, we bear false witness. That leads to another way we bear false witness, and this is flattery. This definition, I've never heard of flattery, but listen to what uh, Colin Smith says about flattery. He defines flattery as saying to someone's face what you would never say to them behind their back. Saying to someone's face what you would never say to them behind their back. And you're saying, what's so bad about that? Here's what's bad about that. Is you are denying someone's participation in reality. And granted, we don't want to change, you know, we don't want to go the opposite extreme and just start being verbally abusing someone. Of course that's not what we want to do, but think about this. How much wisdom you and I lack today at this moment because people have refused to be honest with us. You see, every lie demeans another person. 
Every lie tramples on their dignity, and when we keep truth from people, here's what we're doing. We're treating them like a little kid. We're treating them like a child and demeaning them and trampling on their dignity. That's the first point. What does it mean to bear false witness? And there are tons of other things we could explore. Secondly, let's look at why do we do it? Why do we bear false witness? This is where Psalm 15 is helpful. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to Psalm 15 because it gets at the why behind this commandment. Psalm 15 is often known as the Q&A psalm. It's pretty obvious if you look at it. Verse 1 starts with a question and then every verse after it answers that question. Psalm 15, verse 1. Who shall dwell in your holy hill? David is writing this psalm, and here's basically what he's saying. Lord, I want to be with you. I want to be where you are. But you're God, and I don't know that that's possible. Because you are so great. And then look at the answer, verse 3. Who can dwell and live with God? Verse 2, the one who speaks truth. Verse 3, the one who does not slander with his tongue. But particularly notice verse 4, the one who speaks the truth, some of your virgins might say, who swears to his own hurt. Think about that. What does that mean? Well, it means the person who gives their word even when it costs them something. And they keep their word, even though it might cost them their reputation. Even though it might cost them respect from someone else. Who can live with God? It is one who can swear to their own hurt. Let me translate. Why do we lie? We lie because we want to avoid suffering of any kind and all kinds at any cost. What is suffering? By suffering, I'm not, we all, all, almost always go to these extreme forms of suffering. That's not necessarily what I'm talking about. Although we lie to avoid that kind of suffering too. Suffering means that we lie because we don't want something taken away from us that we deem precious. Think about why you exaggerate about yourself. What's going on there? You exaggerate about yourself because what you deem most precious to you is that people think you're great. Is that everyone think you are wonderful. And having someone not think you're great and suffering the loss of that eats you up inside. And so you just exaggerate and you shade the truth in order to present yourself in the best light. How much of our conversation is nothing more than a sophisticated PR campaign in order to manage people's perceptions of us? We would rather misrepresent ourselves than to suffer the loss, than, than to suffer the loss of our image. Think about your future career. If it is the most precious thing to you, 
then what are you going to do? You're going to lie to your teacher in order to get ahead. You're going to lie to your teacher in order to avoid punishment so that you don't fall behind. Or when you get out into the workplace, you're going to lie to your boss and they're going to say, hey, did you get that report done? Or did you call so-and-so about our meeting next week? And you know you, in that moment you didn't do it and you're going to say, yeah, I did that. And then you run to your office and you pick up the phone and you get that report in and you make that phone call. Why? Because you're trying to avoid punishment from your boss because your career is the most precious thing to you. C.S. Lewis has this great essay called The Inner Ring. And basically it, it is about how every single one of us, uh, all of our lives, are seeking to be and run with the right people and run in the right crowd. And it's something that we struggle with our whole lives. And honestly, if you think about it, it's a form of suffering, isn't it? To be excluded from people is suffering. And when we think about it on terms of this campus, is there anything more precious than social standing at Ole Miss? Is there anything more precious than being in with the right people? And the threat of that being taken away causes us to do really ugly things, doesn't it? Like throw people under the bus. Like gossip about people behind their back. Like shade the truth in just a way so that you present yourself in the best light. Why do we do that? Because we want to be in. One of the scariest verses in all of Scripture, and one of my least favorite, is the verse that says, Woe to you if all men speak well of you. Because that's how they spoke about the false prophets. So much of my life, friends, so much of your life is spent trying to get people to like us and throwing people under the bus so that we can shine is something that we'll do in a heartbeat. Why? Because we don't want to be out. We want to be in because to be out means that you suffer and to be in means that you enjoy and avoid suffering. Why do we lie? Why do we throw people under the bus and gossip? What the heart of it is we want to avoid suffering and that takes on many forms. Lastly, what is the remedy? This semester I hope you've learned that every one of the commandments that we've looked at uh, they have a positive and a negative side to them, don't they? The ninth commandment forbids lying, but also encourages, encourages us to do what? Well, speak the truth in love. The passage that Tevin read, James chapter 3, it's a powerful picture of what words do and how powerful they are. I mean, think about words. They can heal, can't they? Think about the words when someone looks at you and says, I love you. When someone looks at you and says, I'm proud of you. When someone, after your presentation, sincerely and genuinely comes up to you and says, you know what, that was really, really great. And I was so encouraged by your presentation or your paper or whatever it is. What does that do? Think about that. It puts life into your cells and you move out into the world in strength. 
But we know that words, they, don't, they not only heal, but they also do what? Well, they destroy. And as we saw and have seen in the past couple of days, they divide and bring about division. They ruin relationships. They ruin careers. They ruin families. They ruin reputations. And they ruin people's self-esteem. And we often, some of us are spending our lives running away from the most horrible things that have been said about us and to us by maybe a parent by maybe a friend or maybe an ex-boyfriend, and it has crushed you and shaped the way that you view yourself. Why is that? Well, because words are powerful. And the point is this, that that gets at an important principle of truth-telling. And the principle is this, when you speak the truth... It is always to be for the love and for the good of our neighbor. Did you hear that? Speaking the truth is always supposed to be for the good and for the love of your neighbor. Look at the commandment. Do not bear false witness. It could have just put a period right there and been done. Against who? Against your neighbor. The good and the welfare of our neighbor is at stake when we speak words about them. Because when we speak... We shape the reality in which they live. And that is why it is very important for us when we speak the truth to always remember that it is possible for us to speak the truth in very harmful and ungodly ways. There are some of you tonight that pride yourself in this telling people like it is kind of mentality. I mean, you love it. You pride yourself in sitting across the table or confronting someone and getting in their grill and telling them like it is. And you, and you say, and somebody maybe says, hey, that was a little harsh. And you say things like, I'm just being honest. Somebody's got to tell them the truth. We need more people telling the truth around here because everybody's sugarcoating everything. The truth is, and the problem with that, is that you love the truth but you actually hate your neighbor. You see, you were called in the Bible to speak the truth in love. And that's why gossip is so harmful. Because think about it, gossip is true. It's speaking true things behind someone's back. And the reason why we love gossip is because it makes us feel powerful. It makes us feel better about ourselves. It makes us feel like we've been let in on some secret knowledge And so we look at that and we see the truth and we use it and we say things like, well, at least I'm not like that. And so we boast. Friends, truth without love is repulsive. And it destroys people. Well, the the opposite is also true. Love without truth is also repulsive. And that is where most of us are in this room. Because we're in the South. And we've got the nice, polite, Southern thing going, and we're often afraid to speak the truth to someone else, and we justify it by saying, well, it's just not loving for us to do that. And so we refuse to say anything, and we refuse confrontation and avoid it at all costs because we don't want to offend, we don't want to turn people away, or we're afraid that they might not be our friends anymore if we confront them. Y'all, there are people tonight 
that need to confront. Some of you need to confront your friends tonight. Some folks in this room have friends that are destroying their lives right now. And some of you are sitting back and you know it and you're watching it happen and you're doing absolutely nothing. Maybe it's you. Maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, I'm longing for someone to love me enough to actually confront me and speak the truth in love to me. I'm longing for someone to come and to love me enough to be honest with me and to bear this burden with me so that I might actually be healed from it. You say that you're afraid. You say that you don't want to drive people away. But you know the truth is? It's that you really don't love people enough. Because if you love them enough, then you would go to them and you would speak the truth in a loving and a gracious way to them. John chapter 1. God comes into the world into the, in the person of Jesus Christ. He puts on flesh. And when He comes, the Bible says that Jesus spoke words of grace and truth to us. I mean, think about that. Just think about the gospel itself when we, get to the, uh, when we look at the gospels. Jesus comes and He speaks truth and He says, you're a sinner. But then He says, in the same breath, I love you. He comes and he says that you have failed and that you'll never be good enough. But I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. Jesus comes and he speaks truth, but notice the truth is not to hurt, but the truth is to heal. Isn't that what the cross of Christ is all about? It's God coming and speaking the truth but also being gracious. It is God coming to us when we look at the cross and saying, you deserve this. You deserve to die because of your sin and the ways that you have sinned against me. I mean, think about it. Uh, The Bible says that you and I are made for a relationship with God and that life only works rightly for us if we are in relationship with God. But Genesis 3 comes and we rebel against God and say we want to do our own thing. And so God could have very easily said, okay, go do your own thing. Because that is what you deserve. But God doesn't. God, the cross comes and it says, yes, the truth. You deserve to die. But then comes... In the very same breath, the cross comes and says, but here's a word of grace. Because here's the grace in it. God says, I love you enough that I'm not going to let you die. I love you enough that I don't want to see you hurt. And so you know what God does? Because He wanted to be with you? He puts his son, his only son, on a cross and he spreads out his arms and he nails his son to the cross for what is true about you and for what is true about me.
It's been said that the cross is actually grace and truth kissing. Think about that. It's, we see grace and truth meet at the cross because on the cross we see that Jesus died so that God could speak words of truth and grace to us. Jesus died so that God could speak words of grace and truth to us so that you and I might go and speak grace and truth to other people. Let's pray. Father, help us to think about our words. We thank you that you have died for all of our words and all of our harmful and careless words, that you have nailed them to the cross that you have forgiven us and that you are redeeming our very words and the ways we talk. Help us to believe that, to thank you for the truth that we know of, about our words and our hearts, but also the good news of grace that says that you love us and that you want to be with us and that you are changing and redeeming us. Lord, I pray that we would... Um, Rejoice in that as we leave here and that our eyes would be focused on you and who you are and what you've done for us. Even as we sing uh, this last song, uh, it is well with our soul. Uh, Lord, you have taken our sin, not in part, but you have taken it in the whole and you've nailed it to the cross. Uh, Father, that is such good news. And may that good news change us and cause us to speak differently. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.